Hello and welcome in to the My Wheelhouse Basketball Podcast on the We Got Balls Podcast Network. I'm your host, Seamus McNamara, joined today, March 27th, by my dear friend and co-host, Steve Trudeau. Steve, how are, your, uh, how, are you, how are you feeling with your Timberwolves jersey after the shellacking today from the Boston Celtics? Not great about the Timberwolves, but I'm cracking a cold one right now. Team USA soccer up 4-0 right now against Panama. A win pretty much clinches a World Cup berth. So cheers. Yikes. Joining us on the other side is other co-host and dear, dear friend of the pod, Al Biddy's Natola returning after a week hiatus. Biddy's missed you very much. How are things in Chicago? Shay, nightmares do come true, and Italy will not be going to the World Cup. Fortunately, I had a visit from friend of the network, Jeremy Chayton, and uh, that lifted my spirits. Good. I'm happy. I'm happy he could help ease the pain of whatever just malfeasance happened in the soccer world. But that's not what I care about. I care about the basketball universe in the college world. We're winding down. The final four is nearly set. I think it's set. Is that last game finished up yet or is that still going? It's done. UNC is is going to the final four. Yeah. Okay. So our final four is set. We're going to touch on the tournament, our highlights so far. Um, should be fun next weekend getting our champion as we run into April. Uh, the NBA calendar is getting to silly season. We're having lots of resting uh, the, as the final seven or eight games for teams. Uh, finding a full strength team both in contention for the lottery or and or contention for a playoff spot is going to be tricky. So paying attention may not be worth it. So today we're going to be t- talking in totality about some hot topics like the all NBA teams, maybe some all defensive talk, and we'll just touch on some few things to just see how teams are going to shake out with their last few games on their schedule to see what some potential matchups could be coming into the postseason as we wind down here. Uh, with that said... Let's uh, jump into what we've seen recently since we last talked, I guess. Let's check out what happened around the league this week. It's time for my Wheelhouse Rapid Recap. Jamal Crawford announces his retirement from the NBA. Tyrese Maxey carries the Sixers past the Miami Heat with no Harden or Embiid. Marcus Smart career-high 13 assists in a shellacking of the Jazz. New York drops their athlean vaccine requirement, clearing Kyrie for a full return. Uh, Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler, big bicker battle on the sideline. Very entertaining. Highly recommend watching. Uh, Chris Paul returns. Suns reach 60 wins. Full powerhouse. They are currently up 108-102 over the Philadelphia 76ers. Two minutes left in that game. Uh, ja Morant likely out for the remainder of the season with a concerning sore knee. We'll see how that affects the Grizzlies. First sightings of Zion and workout videos leak out. Him working out against Corey Brewer and dunking off of a cushioned floor. The Miami on-court struggles really continue. Uh, Kyrie promises to re-sign in Brooklyn. And finally, Thunder, like several teams on the bottom, they engage their full tank as Josh Giddy is shut down for the season. Uh, what stands out for you in the NBA calendar this past week, Steve? I'm glad you specified NBA because I had more soccer talk for you. Um, Thank you. I do have one thing, but first, I love how you mentioned that Kyrie promises to re-sign with the Nets. Celtics fans, you know all about those Kyrie promises and how those go. No, but um, 
on a serious note, so we talked about the Suns quite a bit here, and I've always, I've been kind of dismissive of the Suns. And I finally got a chance to like look at their record and see what it means, like, you know, their winning percentage versus all time. Man, they are like a historically great team and everyone's sleeping on them. So right now, if the season ended today, they'd have the seventh best winning percentage of all time. I mean, it's tied with a couple other teams. And then if you look at teams with a that finished the regular season with a winning percentage over 80%, those teams have won the NBA Finals about 66% of the time. And currently the Suns qualify for that. So that would lend you to believe that if the season ended today, the Suns are good enough to say, if you would take the Suns or the field, you're taking the Suns. I thought that was pretty crazy. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> no, I mean, they've been... They've been the best team all year. They were really close to winning the title last year. Um, and if they were in a, a city that wasn't Phoenix, then I think they'd be having a lot more of a spotlight on them. But um, yeah, I, I don't want to run into them at any point in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, since I said they're up 108, 102, they're now 114 to 102. So if they went on a little run, there's only a minute left. They're probably going to win, which means very excitingly, once they kicked on the Sixers, our Boston Celtics are going to be the number one overall seed in the Eastern Conference starting tomorrow. Very, very exciting news. I don't want the, the heads to be get too bloated and too confident. Uh, the team does best when it's considered an underdog. So a lot of a lot of the, the praise that the team is deservedly getting is making me a little uneasy. So I, I want to bring them back down. Hope, hopefully, may, maybe rest some players and get some like tough losses or something. Uh, it's, it's making me nervous. I do like the one seed. This team shouldn't be scared of anyone in the playoffs. Uh, I'm down to keep it. I think later when we touch on the seedings, we can talk about how we feel about a specific opponent. But it it, it, sh it should be fun regardless. But I, I don't think the Celtics should be dodging teams. Um, before we get into detail in the NBA, let, let's jump back and, and wrap up our discussions uh, that we, we started last week uh, on the tournament. I can't imagine anyone's bracket is looking that great. Uh we saw the Cinderella story, no 15 seed ever making it to the Elite Eight in St. Peter's come to an end as they got flattened in the Elite Eight matchup that they had against North Carolina. I think they lost by like 20-something. And Kansas overtook Miami with these pretty boring games today. Uh, yesterday, there was more interesting games, but still both Duke and Villanova kind of had the other team's number for majority of the game leading by, I don't know, five to 10 points for essentially the entire game over Houston and Arkansas. Uh, Biddies, what was your most interesting takeaway from the Elite Eight games? Or it can be, I mean, we didn't talk last week, so it can be a storyline from the tournament in general. And uh, what are you looking forward to most coming to the Final Four next weekend down in New Orleans? Yeah, um, you know, based on my bracket, I shouldn't, tell myself as somebody who can predict how things are going to go, but man, watching Duke against Arkansas, they look like the team that's going to win it all. And I think they've kind of got the the magic dust of the coach K farewell tour. And this is going to be, uh, I mean, maybe the biggest rivalry matchup of all time where you got Duke versus Carolina in the final four, uh, Trying to, Duke's trying to avenge the the lost the lost last game at Cameron Indoor for Coach K. Carolina is doing a rebirth of the program under Hubert Davis and the opportunity to once again 
send Coach K off with a loss is uh, is definitely juicy for the Tar Heel fan. So uh, Duke looks like the team that's going to win it all, and that's just that is, in my opinion, the most must see TV. Uh, Duke versus Carolina that college basketball has had in uh, quite a long time. Yeah, I love how Duke, once they lost North Carolina in the last home game for Coach K, how Coach K just ripped them a new one. It was just so pissed after the game. It was supposed to be like this great, joyous moment of celebrating his career. And he just starts off by saying how bad they were and how much he's so angry at the team. So this is the perfect avenge game for them. But on top of that, man, you know, UNC won kind of like a meaningless game. Just, I mean, it's a rivalry game, but, you know, there was no, nothing on the line. And their students and fans poured the streets in North, Car- North Carolina University. It was like they won the whole championship. So I can't wait to see what happens if they win this one. I cannot wait. Yeah, I had – North Carolina has been an interesting team. I haven't watched them a ton this year. I had them taking out Baylor, which they did, which I was excited about, but I had UCLA beating them. UCLA was labeled by a lot of college basketball fans as like the funnel, funnily enough, like the team of destiny, the team that a lot of players came back to the roster who could have gone to the NBA draft and gotten picked late first round, early, early second round. We saw Johnny Juzang in his awesome run in the tournament last year. Obviously it, it got court, cut short this year and the, everyone knows that my, my perspective is through the prospect lens. So looking at North Carolina, I, I want to bring up a name that I was intrigued by coming into last year's college basketball season in Caleb Love. Um, he was a top 10 recruit coming out of high school with all of the names that we know that are dominating the NBA rookie class this year, the Cades, Mobley's, all those guys. He, he was in the same consideration of, of prospect as a lot of those names. And he, when he went to UNC, I don't know if he was five-star. I believe he was five-star. Maybe he was a four, but he, he fizzled immediately and he, he was pretty deplorable all year long and he was awful. He was inefficient. Shot selection was awful. Defensively, there was no effort. And he started the year uh, around 10 on my mock board just because watching, I don't know, two high school games or whatever it is and based off of what all the pundits were saying. And he plummeted every game, like three spots. And he got to the point where he was 40th and then he went back to North Carolina. This year This year has been a bumpy road for him. He, he hasn't been incredible all year. But that game against UCLA, that, that's the alluring, the, the reason he was that highly touted high school prospect. I believe he had 27 in the second half. His shot making was on full display. When the shot falls, his game looks awesome. Um, it, he was attacking the hoop with fervor. And he was getting to his spots with 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 ease. Uh, his euro steps, his ability to snake around defenders in tight spaces. He he's a guy that, if he declares, which I I think he'll probably rally a, a strong performance in, in the tournament here. I I think he could be an interesting flyer in the I don't know in the twenties for a team to just take a shot on someone who had talent previously and showed out in a big way in this tournament purely because there's not a lot of high upside swings to take in this draft in that range. So I love what I've seen from Caleb Love. Um, I don't know if you guys watched that. Uh, I didn't even watch the St. Peter's game, so I have no clue how he played in the St. Peter games. He could have completely fizzled out, but specifically in the UCLA game, he was awesome. And I, I thought he's been, as far as those guys go, he, he's been the storyline for me from, from their end. Speaking of prospects, I know you love your prospects. I, I'm not going to come out here and say like I'm a huge college basketball fan. I'm not watching prospects. I don't. I don't really love the college game, but you know it's the madness time, so I'm going to watch all the games. And this has kind of been the first time I've had an opportunity to watch this Paulo kid. 
And I watched him play against Arkansas, and I got to be honest with you, I don't see it. Like I, I felt this way about Jalen Suggs last year, where like it just he I, doesn't see it. It doesn't see it. It was just it's one hard. game. Maybe. What are you talking about? He doesn't see it. Can I can I finish my point? I'm just there was there's the no thing. there was no pop when I watched him play. Like you see some dudes like Zion and John Morant. Like you see as soon as they're, they step foot on the court, like there's something special about this kid. Like they are way better than everyone else around them. With Paulo, if you if I didn't know he was a top prospect, I'd been like, oh, like this kid's good. Like I wouldn't like he might have great physical ability, like physical like strength, speed, size, but like as far as his game, there was nothing like particularly special that I saw. Yeah, I don't know. Like I feel like he's like he's got great green like if you're baking a cake, right? Like you have like all the high end <laughs> ingredients, but the cake's not baked yet. Like he hasn't put it all together, and you don't see a polished game. I don't know. I just don't. I just don't see superstar, and I don't know why he's you know top what three probably. Biddy's has Paulo not been the best player in the tournament? He he has been, and I have my doubts about like is this guy a superstar or is he more of like a a fringe all star that if he's your third best player, then you're awesome. And if he's your second best player, you might be in shaky ground. Um, but the handle at that size is something that really stands out to me. And then he just looks huge on the screen. He looks really big uh, next to a lot of those college guys. And that's just college that guys feel, that, well, that makes me feel good. Just go into the NBA that he isn't going to be bullied around like somebody who, who just might be a little bit more frail might be a little bit shorter. Um, so I think, like you said, he's got all the tools. And I don't know if he's got the, like, takeover, takeover the game in him, but he doesn't necessarily need to to succeed at the next level. Well, I maybe mean, it was just the one game I saw. Did you guys watch him versus Arkansas? Yeah. Would you say that he was – it was a underperformance by him in that game, or that's just what he does, what he – that game? I thought he played well against yeah. Arkansas. I mean, it's it's well. Like, that's the thing. Like, you say, oh, he played well. He was fine. There was nothing, like, particularly special that I'm like, oh, this guy's a top pick. And that's, I mean, I guess, like, you know, you're I mean, saying he's not a takeover guy, which is fine. But if I'm drafting someone top three, I want someone who's going to be, like, takeover alpha. Like, this is the dude I want on my team. I, I think um, that, go ahead. Yeah, I just don't know if there's the, if that guy is in the, in this draft. And, and so that's kind of, like, I think that's really where we're at is where, I mean, Seamus follows the draft a lot more closely than I do, but just it's my understanding that the guys are going to go one through five this year would have been like in the 10 range of last year's draft. Like, yeah. I mean, competing with Jonathan Kaminga right. for, for a draft spot. So yeah, they were, I think they it's were just six or seven. I think it's a slight down draft, particularly at the top. Right. But um, I'm shocked that your your takeaway was that this guy isn't the guy. I mean, I I've I was blown away with his Shay. performances against Texas that Texas Tech game. I mean, he picked apart. I that, didn't that's see that the game. Best that's lauded as the best defense in college basketball, and he minced them up like they were made of play doh. Um, well, his, his let me ask you decision this. making. Go ahead. Offensively, like what's his his shining thing that you say? Oh, this guy is really good at this offensively. Like you're gonna say passing, like as far as getting his own bucket, like what is he good at? Can he get his own it's, bucket? It's the, it's the handle at that size. He's he's definitely gonna be a matchup problem. Not that he's gonna be impossible to figure out, but he's gonna be able to get by bigger guys and 
post up smaller guys. But when he gets by the bigger guys, does he have like a great finishing ability? He's so it's like so he has like all these unique weird skill sets, but like they don't all come together to make like one so, unstoppable attribute. You 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 use the word to say something that he's not that I, I actually think encapsulates his offensive game very well. I I think he is very very polished. I, I think his offensive game, his footwork, his ability to use his handle, and his ability to create space, combined with his feel for the game and and his IQ, I I think he's a he's a very high feel player. I think that he understands spacing and movement very well. Um, his his ability to hit uh, rolling big men, uh, a flanking shooter to the corner, uh, a cross-court corner pass, uh, his pick-and-roll play as both the lob threat, both as a roll man, both as the pop threat himself, and as the ball handler in any aspect. I, I just think he's very advanced offensively. I do think in my issues previously – uh, because he's not like a supreme athlete and because I don't uh, necessarily trust the consistency of his exterior shooting. Um, it, it's a very streaky exterior shot. We've seen it. We've seen it fall for the most part during this tournament. Uh, and that that's been a link to why he's played so well, but there's been stretches so far this regular season where, where he's gone ice cold. And it seems like he's going to be hit and miss depending on the month for how he's going to shoot from the perimeter, but all other aspects he, he has such a good touch um, around the rim. He has a good touch for, for in terms of how he's playing and how he feels his defender, especially in the high post and the mid post. Um, my, my player comps for him in terms of, in terms of how I, I see his offensive like archetype, uh, they, they would make you like concerned for his outlook just, just because of his play style. And I, I, I have to add, like, I have to predicate, like, high IQ and high I feel before every single one of them because they're players like Julius Randle and, like, Tobias Harris and players that, like, I don't really, like, like that much. But he's, like, a better version of them, and he he's going to be more effective coming to the NBA. So entering the tournament, I had him number two on my board. And because of that final stretch that we saw from Chet, I, I was more confident of having him in a tier above Paolo and ab above other players like Jabari, who obviously bowed out early with Auburn. So I was looking for differentiating factors between players like Jabari and Paolo to see who I think deserved more of num the number two selection. And what I've seen so far is not necessarily uh, anything new for me to say he should be a number one pick, but he is for sure should get picked over Jabari, in my opinion. Um I think his defense is being underrated. I think as a player who can fit into a scheme, who understands what his role needs to be, I, I think he can be really, really effective. He's shown some flashes and some promise as a weak side rim protector. Um, I, I thought he defended the the bigs on Arkansas, specifically Jalen Williams, who, who's a, a fun uh, late first or early second round draft prospect in his own right, um, players on Texas Tech. I think he can take assignments and, and play well as long as he's locked in. So I think that Paulo for me proved out that he's because previously I was nervous that he was going to kind of like be too much of what my comp, I think my comps were bleeding into my brain too much when I watched Paulo. So I'm, I'm I'm just like thinking Tobias Harris and I'm thinking Julius Randle who are like so so incredibly low IQ. So it's like so hard to like parse that like this is how he plays, but also he knows what he's doing. Where these players don't know what they're doing. So I think that he might be able to fit a role that's different than those players are able to fit a role. 
Um, if, if Tobias Harris played for the Philadelphia 76ers and was an awesome catch and shoot player and just motivated on defense and like was an awesome cutter, he would be like really, really effective. Instead, he's like, he, he's shot happy and he doesn't play any defense because he doesn't try. And he, he likes to see the shot go up from 18 feet way too often and he doesn't follow the shot or do anything that's good. But I think that Paulo is going to fill a role very, very well. And I think he has upside as a primary creator uh, that's extremely valuable if you're getting that from someone who's 6'10", beefy, and can defend multiple positions. So Biggs is 1,000% right encapsulating this draft as not being a premier draft. If, if you want star swing for the moon potential, I think that Chet has a higher upside. I think that Jabari probably has a higher upside. I just think it's more likely that Paulo is going to be a good NBA player. And I think he does a lot of good things well. I don't think that you should scoff at him just because he's not a premier athlete. I, I think he's really, really good. I'm not scoffing because he, he's, he's not an athlete. Taking. I'm scoffing because he doesn't have the it factor. I know we want to get off Apollo, but the problem is when you say he's gonna be a, he's gonna fit a role really good, that's that problem. Because if you're drafting top three, you don't want someone who's gonna fit a I'm role. Saying, I'm saying day one. I'm saying day one. Okay. And he is upside I'm just saying, to be more than that. I, I was out on Suggs. And look where we are now. <laughs> Look where you are now. Suggs is great. Are you out on Suggs already? It's been it's been like four months. What do you mean? You're out on Suggs? He's a fine player. He's a fine I'm player. I'm interested in Suggs. Fine player. There's also, there's also hot morning on Twitter for, uh, earlier this week for Victor Wembanyama, big, big friend of the network. So maybe you want to take power on Tank for another year. Hell yeah. Victor in the building. Right. Um did you have takeaways from some of the earlier matchups? Uh, last weekend was when we got the Sweet 16 cemented. So any of those games, the Houston took out Arizona. I don't know if you watched the Arizona game and had any takeaways about Benedict Matherin. Uh, Tough name, by the way. Ones. Obviously, Chet went down. Did you watch the Arkansas-Gonzaga game? Because that was an atrocious – I have issues – I have lots of issues with college basketball uh, primarily is anything on offense. Um, the, the, the players are just supremely less skilled. They, they're worse ball handlers. They're worse shooters. They're worse at creating space. They have worse vision. They have worse passing ability and they have less connectivity and they have less understanding of the game of basketball. So when they get into like a defensive battle, it's, it's really, really hard to watch because it, everything falls apart. What was the elite game, elite eight game, the Houston game? That was one of the worst basketball games I've ever watched. That that game was horrible. It was like, it was literally, I was clawing my eyes out, just thinking, like, I can't believe I'm still watching this. Why haven't I changed the channel? 50 to 40. (laughs) It was 44 to 50. And it was just, it was just some of the, and it wasn't because the defense was elite. It was just because they had no clue what they were doing offensively. People were dribbling off their own foot. People were popping their Achilles just because he turned, unfortunately. It was like that was the highlight offensively was someone pairing his Achilles. It was terrible. It was such bad basketball. And So let me get this straight. First, you just trash a bunch of kids because their kids are not as good as basketball as pros. And then you say the highlight of the game is someone tearing their Achilles. (laughs) That's very harsh. All right. Yep, I got it. Yes, I'm very sorry to the Villanova player that had that happen to him. It's very tragic. He's not going to be able to support his team in the Final Four. But it's it's just really tough to watch, and it makes it so hard to get a good sample size of information about draft prospects when things like referees doing a haphazard job and fouling out the number one prospect on the board with 
three malarkey, absolute bogus nonsense calls in the second half. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? That's like infuriating to watch. So you got to ask Chet's dad for the camcorder footage. So I love can... that he's recording it. That guy looks, he looks like such a character. He's such an unusual body type. He has a fun goatee and he's got a ponytail. What a, what a, what a wacko. I like him. I mean, I'm in on Chet's dad. I'm, I'm in on Chet number one pick now after hearing the information. Vital. <laughs> but that, that, that Chet game, it, it was a, it was a tough showing obviously. And the round before that was the victory over no was the memphis game was the game before arkansas game we talked about the memphis game last week do you have do you have thoughts about jalen duren or about chet in general how have your thoughts changed have your thoughts changed at all about about not even chet just like the top names on your board obviously we already touched on paulo but specifically chet what what have you thought about the tournament and how, how he how he looked you know uh opening weekend i was at a bachelor party so it, it is pretty nice to always have the game on at each bar that we stop at. But I, I, if I'm being honest, I did not get the most analytical uh, looks at some of those guys in the opening round. So uh, Chet sucks that he got fouled out. I really don't think, I don't think he can hold March against uh, a guy too hard. Um, And I would still, still love to have Chet on my team, especially if I was a, Coach Mark Dagnall, coach in LKC. Yeah, I'm I mean, back, baby. He's a perfect. He's a perfect pick. I mean, OKC needs needs him. Um, the other player that I, I think I still have Chet over Paulo, uh, unless there's some crazy performance here in the last two games from Paulo where he shows something that I haven't seen otherwise. I I really think that Chet's my one, Paulo's my two, Jabari's my three. And number four is something I want to talk about a little bit. Um, Jabari had a tough tournament. His first game was okay, and, and, and he couldn't hit the side of a barn in his second game. And, and oh, my God, is Auburn another tough watch? Those guards on that team, everyone's talked about it already, but they, they have no clue what they're doing on the basketball court, and they're the main reason that they lost. So it's, it's hard to glean anything from him. He was in the, one of the most inopportune uh, surrounding supporting cast situations that he could possibly put put in. So I'm excited for him to be in NBA spacing with a, with a better playmaker and a better decision maker. I think he fits great on any team. I would love to see him next to Cade, obviously. But I, I want to talk about the players I have at four and five, and I and I don't know what order I'm going to have them. But but it's Jaden Ivy and, and AJ Griffin. Um, I don't want to say that Jaden Ivy disappointed. Uh, for number three seeded Purdue as they took out Texas. And then obviously they lost to the Cinderella of the tournament in St. Peter's. Um, I, I just have concerns that he's going to not improve ever on the defensive end of the floor. I don't think he has the tools, even though he has good length and okay size for a guard defender. And his shot doesn't seem dependable enough right now. Obviously that's something that can come along and he has vision obviously, and he has highlight passes, but he's like a very, very inaccurate passer. All of his passes are ending up at his shooter's feet, at his roll men's, uh, like, I don't even know, knees. Sometimes they're too high. Um, he, he can make a pass look good because of how acrobatic he is in the air and how elastic he goes to make a certain pass goes. But I think that often overrates the quality of the pass that's actually happening. And again, accuracy is something that can come along having the vision for the pass is more important. So 
I feel like a lot of the things with Jaden Ivey is so loud and, and visually he looks like John Morant and in some aspects of the game, he can play like John Morant. So I find myself kind of lower on him than I was maybe mid season when he started to really come to the scene. And conversely, I, I'm becoming more and more in on AJ Griffin. Um, what if, did you watch any of the Purdue games and what are your just overall thoughts on Jaden Ivey and would you have him for, I, I know there's some people that have Jaden, I mean, less, lesser so now, but there were some people coming into the tournament that had Jaden over Paulo uh, and they had him as the number three prospect. So um, a, a player of that high, I, I'm, I'm just not that confident. I'm, I don't know how you feel. Either one. Who, who's this directed at? <laughs> Steve. Biddies, doesn't matter. Either one. Steve, tell me about Jaden Ivey. What do you think? Well, first of all, I think he has a great name. Uh, Jaden, it's a pretty solid name. Um, and, you know, he plays for Purdue, so that's great. I have no idea who Jaden Ivey is. I'm going to be honest with you. Prospects, mosh, prospects, mosh specs. That's what I figured. Biddies. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm very... I feel like I'm very anchored by just like the general feeling about the draft class being lower. And I'm just envisioning this being a year where like the top 10 maybe has like one or two really good guys. And then like the 22nd pick is the best player in the draft and a second rounder makes the all-star game one time. Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm envisioning out of this draft. So it's going to be the 2013 draft is what you're telling me. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right. So then let's, I, I'll, I'll share a few thoughts on AJ Griffin and then we can move on to our all NBA teams, get away from college basketball. We'll, we'll, we'll make our, we'll make our uh, championship selections, but uh, AJ Griffin, I think right now I, I'm going to have him above Jaden Ivy as my number four player. Uh, he's the swing for Duke uh, alongside Paulo. Uh, they also have a rising player on my board and their big man, Mark Williams, who I think is slid into the later part of the lottery, but specifically with AJ Griffin, I've talked previously on how his frame and his build and his athleticism and his ability to shoot are, are purely enough to get him in the door as a deserving NBA prospect. What we've seen in the end of the season conference tournament and so far in the NCAA tournament is ability to create more offense with more fluidity that I've seen earlier than I saw earlier in the season. Um, I think his shot creation is something that is going to be su supremely underrated as a skill that he's going to unearth. I previously had him comp to players like OG Ananobi and Lou Dort, whose offensive games are not one-dimensional, but like limited in terms of their creation, albeit effective in what they do, specifically shooting. And and what we've seen recently is, is more of a previous comp that some other people have shared, and obviously player that I love, in some similarities to a player like Jalen Brown, where his his space creation and his ability to move off the defenders with with escape dribbles, with in and out dribbles, uh, whether it's moving downhill or moving backwards, uh, he's got multi-directionality to him that that has really really impressed me. So I, I'm excited about AJ Griffin. He's he's one of the I think he's the best shooter in the draft, albeit him having the weirdest shot base. Like legitimately, there's four feet between his two feet when he's shooting, so it looks weird, but he, he's really alluring to me. He's got NBA size. He's got an NBA build. I, I, I would be very excited about taking him more so than I would be about taking a lead guard 
that I'm not confident about his scoring ability like Jaden Ivey, and I'm very concerned about him defensively. And A.J. Griffin still falls asleep. Sometimes defensively he gets back cut. That's something that early in Jalen's career happened to Jalen too. Um, but on ball, he's a menace. And, and as a rim protector against college size athletes, he, he, he can he can hold his own as well. So I've really liked what I've seen from A.J. Griffin. But um, you got something on A.J. Griffin before we go to the NBA, Steve? No, I, I feel like you should. You are like the NBA version of Mel Kuyper. Like you have so <laughs> much fact toys. You just go, you're like rat-a-tat-tat, like boom, 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 fact, 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 fact. You are like the illest basketball Mel Kuyper there is. Well, I like the draft. We'll have to do the live show and Shay can have like all the Mel Kiper hair gel in. Yes. We'll yes. be good to go. I'll, I'll work on my Mel Kiper accent. I need to work on an impression or something. I know you want to talk about all the NBA teams. I had something I want to bring to you guys about Russell Westbrook. And I heard this this week and I thought it was pretty fan. Wait, wait, uh, first, first, before, before you go there. All right. Who, who's who's winning the championship? Duke already picked Biddies. I mean, <laughs> Biddies already picked Biddies, congratulations. They, they, they picked me. <laughs> congratulations on winning the championship, Biddies. Um. Duke seems like too much of a like a obvious pick, and I don't want to see Coach K go out on top. I'm, I'm an anti-Duke guy, uh, so I'm going to go with Kansas. I think Villanova is going to be struggling Kansas. with it, with that injury. Kansas Villanova. I got Kansas winning that one. Duke Kansas in the final. Give me Kansas. Just out of well, principles, I can't I think, pick Duke. I I just think I Duke has too many good players. I mean, Mark Williams was the best player in that Elite Eight game. And he's the third best prospect on Duke. So the problem I, is I, they got they got Paulo. He's going to screw it up for them. He's not that good. Overrated. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, just, I, I I'm think just kidding. It's going to be matchup of the two seeds: Duke over Villanova. That, right. One of my favorite things before we jump was they had, uh, and now I forget it. The white point guard from Villanova. They had his father. Which one? Uh, Mike. <laughs> they had his father. Yes, Gillespie. They had Mr. Gillespie mic'd up in the crowd and he had some pretty funny moments that they were sharing, but okay. What do you got how, for Westbrook? What do you how, got? how come they always have a Gillespie or a DiVincenzo or uh like a, like a Mario in Villanova. They found yeah, that, those two yeah. names aren't similar. What do you, <laughs> they always find like a white Italian, you know, kid yeah. to play for Villanova. I don't know how they do it. Philadelphia, you know, they've got, they're connected. <laughs> no, but I, so I was listening to a podcast this week and I, I, I heard something interesting on Westbrook and I, I was ho- wondering if you guys have heard about this theory that Russell Westbrook is actually shooting with the wrong hand. Definitely heard that about Ben Simmons. Uh, So it's the same situation. So what Russell Westbrook is actually a lefty. He writes with his left, throws a football with his left, does everything left-handed except for shoot a basketball. And they broke down his every drive of the season to the basket, right versus left. And there was a, a significant increase in percentage made driving with his left going off his right foot versus right hand left foot. And the same thing goes with and one opportunities. He finishes with contact better with his left than his right. So it would make you think that naturally he has more coordination with his left hand because he's a lefty and maybe his poor shooting is due to the fact that he's shooting with his wrong hand, similar to Ben Simmons. You know, I don't know how much worse he can get at shooting, so if he wants to try <laughs> it, then then let's give it a rip. I guess the idea is like the what if. Like, what if he always shot with the left hand? Like, he's already a top 75 player, according to the, the NBA rankings. Like, what could he have been if he was always shooting with that left hand instead? It's funny. So I've I've, I don't know where I heard it. It was a long time ago. I remember someone dove into... Uh, finishing stats and efficiency stats 
with like certain players who um, showed ambidexterity at some level. Like LeBron James, is, he's a lefty. He's you know the what same mean? He's thing. A lefty yeah, and he plays. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, there was a study at one point done that these players who shoot with their right hand, but they're much more finished. They're much more efficient, rather finishing with their left hand at, at the rim, and they take more layups and more shots close to the rim with their technically their off hand. You know, it was really really interesting. Um, I, I haven't heard it recently, so I, I think it's interesting that they're they're choosing a, 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 a real awful performance well, that's from a, Westbrook this season to bring it back up. But it's an excellent point too, because Russell Westbrook takes about two times the driving layups to his right, which would be his offhand than his left. And if you watch him when he goes to the left, he can take some awful, awful, awful layups. Yeah, I mean, I think it's too late for him to change his oh, yeah. shot. Um, I do think that he should probably. Uh, cut down on his shots. I do think that he's still, I'm pretty sure he's still very effective in terms of his advanced numbers when he, when he's attacking the hoop in terms of finishing around the rim and stuff like that. So he should by all means still do that. He's one, even though his athleticism has fallen off, he's still one of the better athletes in the league at the point guard position. Uh, I think he just needs to refine and hone his game to the things that are still most potent and, and get rid of and cut out the fat that's like really, really detrimental to any offense that he's on. And if he does that, I, I think it'll help him save some energy that hopefully he can really pump into the defensive end because that's an issue as well. Um, I, I, but it wasn't just LeBron and Westbrook. There was like 15 players. Because I, I remember, I think it was Ben Simmons' rookie season that, that the study was released because he's obviously the headlining player of shooting with the wrong hand, as Biddy's mentioned. But it, it was really interesting. I'll, I'll try and share it in our group chat. If I, if I can go back and find it, because it, it's funny that you said that, because it, it sparked my memory. There, there was like 20 something players that are uh, I'm I'm left handed. I write with my left hand and I shoot a basketball with my right hand. Really? So maybe I'm maybe I'm shooting with the wrong hand. We wouldn't be here right now. Seamus would be in the league. If, yes. If, 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 if I knew God. what I was doing, I, 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 I chose my path wrong. I could be LeBron James. <laughs> Instead, you're Westbrook. <laughs> Yes, apparently. All right, let's uh, let's jump to the all NBA discussions where Westbrook will not be a part of. Um, before we name our actual selections, uh, the recent discussion has been positional eligibility of of specific players. I just wanted to share my my baseline thoughts on that, and maybe you guys could do that too because I think that'll obviously, uh, f- you know, frame what our picks are going to be. And can, um, I, can, I, can I get a point of order from Mark Stein that yes. also gives us an idea is that yes. if Embiid or Jokic gets more center votes than forward votes, then neither can make first team as a forward because you get placed at the position where you receive the most votes. So right. if you're like me, as we'll see, and want both – Embiid and Jokic on the first team, then you really need to collude with everybody else who sees things the same way. So you're all putting the same guy at forward and this other same guy at center. Right. So what I think should happen is I think it should be another year where you go one center on your first team. And next year, you just need to change how the teams are organized one guard one forward three wild cards is my favorite from how i've heard it thrown out so far um but but having the locked in in just rigid uh predicament 
of guard, guard, forward, forward, center, it, it's it's going to make bad decisions happen, and it's going to make players sit on the outside that should not be sitting on the outside. And that's why with my teams, I split up Jokic and Embiid. I have I have Embiid on my second team. I understand that Embiid is probably going to be two or three in my MVP ballot for the end of the year. And I understand that that makes it really, really silly that the number two or number three finisher in MVP isn't on the All-NBA first team. But the All-NBA first team has two guard slots, two forward slots, and a center spot. Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are centers. So that means I can only pick one of them. I understand. I, I think it's wrong. I don't think that there should be the rigidness of the positional selection that there is, but there is. And I think using a loophole where the NBA says, oh, sure, throw these guy in as a forward, I think that's a little silly. I, no. I want it to be changed. I think they should change no. the designations so that you can absolve yourself and be able to fit players in. But the reason why you can't do it this year and Embiid's going to get credit. He's it, it's just going to show up as a all or, or Jokic, whoever doesn't get first NBA team, because I think that's going to be and what ends up happening because I don't think every single voter is going to call each other and say, okay, let's all vote. Jokic is a forward and let's all vote Embiid as a center. There's going to be too many as of one of each. And one of them is going to end up being on the second team. And so Shay, yeah, and go I, okay, go ahead, Steve. Listen, you're a sports writer. Your job's not that hard. Just put vote for a damn guy. All right, enough of this trying to collude. Listen, if Joke, if Jokic makes the first team and Embiid second team, you know what I got to say to Embiid? Do better. Be better than Jokic. Yeah, Embiid, you're fine. number that's one. Fine. That's, that's fine. fine. That's fine. I agree. I'm down. I just no think crying. The, game is, the game is more positionless. Um, there, there is a blurred line between roles, and Jokic is also a point guard, and, and LeBron's a point guard, and there's players that can be absolutely considered both a guard and a forward. So I understand that the game has progressed to a point where just the simple designation of guard, forward, and center is very, very rudimentary and like prehistoric. But but right now, that's what we have. That's, that's what we have right now. So th- my biggest issue with putting both Jokic and Embiid on the first team is third team center. That's my biggest issue because whoever your third team center is, that player to me, does not deserve to be an all-NBA player. And it's not like you can say, oh, okay, I'm going to put um, Nikola Jokic as a forward. There isn't a forward on the flip side that you can – you can't do the backwards. You know what I mean? There isn't a third-team player that's deserving of a third-team selection that can be – that's a forward that you can say, well, he has center eligibility. So because you can't reciprocate a player on the back end, I, I, I'm splitting them up. Embiid is going to get the credit he deserves as an MVP candidate. He's been one of the best three players in the NBA this season. He's awesome. He's on my second team. But I, I, that's I, before I think we announce fair. the teams. Before we announce the teams, you got closing thoughts on just how it's framed because it's, it's stupid. It's stupid yeah. how it's framed. It's dumb. I think I think it's fair. I'm not here to talk you on to to my way of viewing it. And as I was going through my first draft, I was doing just one of them, and it it just is such a special case where. Two guys where both centers are having such incredible seasons. And, and like you said, you know, what's you can say Lucas guard or you can say Lucas forward. You can make an argument that Giannis is a center. LeBron eligible at guard and forward. It's just, there's so much fluidity to it. Two, three front court, two guards like you do with the all-star game. And let's not have this wacky discussion again. But I'm glad that we're going to have different looking teams because of this. Okay. Steve, give me your first team all NBA. 
All right, my first... Listen, first of all, I'm not very good at this, so this is going to be wacky. I'm glad I'm going first so you guys can mock me. I'm going to start That's with fine. center because we just went over that very, very highly contentious subject. I'm putting the MVP, the best player in the league, at my center spot for all NBA first team. He might look like like a loaf of bread, but he's still my number one. Nikola Jokic, center. Forward, I'm got going with Giannis. And then I'm going to go with the fan favorite of the My Wheelhouse basketball podcast for all the Celtics fans out there. Jason Tatum, awesome second half. He deserves it. And then I'm, I'm going with guys who are just going like bananas right now. Devin Booker, I don't know if he's worthy of being a first-team All-NBA, but he's been fantastic. And then my other guard, even though he's been out, uh, I, I just I'd want to reward him because he's awesome. John Morant, my other guard spot. So before before we break it down, I think we should just all name our teams and then we can talk about them positionally afterwards. Um, you're fine. That's perfectly fine. I have Ja, Luka as my guards. I have Tatum and Giannis as my forwards. And I have Nikola Jokic as my center. Yeah. So not, that, not that different. Biddies, what's your first team? Uh, Booker, Luka, Giannis, Jokic at forward for everybody else listening who's trying to figure out which, which way we're going to collude. And then Embiid at center. Okay, mm. Steve, what's your second team? All right, my second team. This is where it gets a little wacky. Embiid at center. Ford, I'm going to go with LeBron. He kind of, he deserves it. Uh, Kevin Durant, even though he's missed a lot of time, he's still great. Luka, and then got to reward DeRozan for having a, one of the best seasons of his career. Biddy, second team. Ja, Steph, mm. Tatum, mm. KD, Carl Anthony Towns. Okay, I have... Steph, Booker, KD, LeBron, Embiid. Obviously, a lot of the names we're hearing are pretty consistent. Steve, close it out. What's your third team? All right. I'm going to go big to little. Cat, Siakam, Butler, Steph, and then Trey Young. Sneaky great season. Trey Young. Okay, Biddy's wait. What's your third team? Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, LeBron, DeMar DeRozan, and Bam Adebayo. Bam out of bio. I like Bam. My third, my third team is Trey Mitchell, DeRozan, Jalen Brown, and Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> um, okay, so of course you the, put Brown the first in there. Team, what's what's interesting? I, I think the best way to talk about it is is by position. Mm-hmm. So for for guards, I, I think there's four obvious guards. I think John Morant, Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, and we all had Steph. Yes. Yeah, I'm in third team. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think those four guards are, are locks to be all NBA players. And for me, what's left is I have three players for two spots, and it was very, very difficult. I had Chris Paul, Trey Young, and Donovan Mitchell. And mm-hmm. delineating between who deserves credit out of those three to be the two guards essentially on the third team um, was, was tricky for me. Um, obviously Trey Young has the outrageous stats. He's leading the NBA in points. He's leading the NBA in assists. He's been really, really good. He's taken a step up last from last year. And last year he was uh, uh, all NBA caliber talent as well. Um, Donovan Mitchell, I think he's taken a step offensively. If you go listen to the podcast that Ben Taylor had with, geez, what the heck is this guy's name? I don't know. Ben Taylor, go search Ben Taylor. He's thinking basketball. He's a genius. One of the smartest basketball people. He, he, he talks in detail on how Donovan Mitchell has advanced as a pick-and-roll creator, as a shot creator, and, and how he's developed offensively. I, th- I think he's been really, really strong this year. And the reason I ended up leaving Chris Paul out and looking in is purely because of, of games missed. 
and because the sons to me are not more responsible success because of the contributions from Devin Booker, but but I think Booker has been the higher caliber player for this team. Um, it's very understanding. I, I want to get both of them on there because because it's a 60 win team and, and he deserves it. But I, I just used the crutch of him missing some time so that I could get in two other guys where Trey Young cutting him out, that's going to be the same thing as cutting out Tatum last year. That's going to make him lose $40 million. I'm, I'm down to just have Trey in. I think I, I think that he deserves it. Um, your, your guards weren't those players. Uh, Steve, you, you had two of those guys out, correct? Um, I had, so of the ones that you said were not locks, I had DeRozan and Trey. And I, that yeah, was so, so disrespectful from you to just like dismiss DeRozan after having such, I know you no, hate, I, you're I so anti-Bulls is not even funny. And I understand they're I have, not a great team, but still like he's you, been fantastic. You you didn't listen. I never I listened. You didn't listen. He's you didn't listen. He's, not, he's a four. I was he's ready to fight you. He's I was ready to fight you. Um, so you had both Mitchell and CP3 out, which is fine. So you thought Trey was the most deserving out of those three. And then Biddies, what were your what were your selections of those groups? Uh, CP3 Mitchell were yeah. Uh, so so it was just team success. You were just not in for it. Pretty much, like just looking through my picks. At the end of the day, I'm definitely going with team success um, as a, an important differentiator. Okay, so then for I, I think that's I think it's tough. I, the guards are great. The NBA is in really good hands. Uh, there's different podcasts that are talking about the strength of the league in general, just in terms of the star power that we have. Uh, I think those three players on the third team that I'm trying to decide between Trey Young, he's averaging like 29 and 10. Um, Donovan Mitchell, CP3. These are in, in in former eras. These are MVP caliber players if they're playing yeah. in, in different years, and and these are players that we're leaving off of of the third most accreditation in terms of end of the season awards. Um, for forwards, uh, I I thought it was really easy. Um, you guys had players like did you use Bam as your third team center because I did um, of the center eligibility. I think that makes sense. Um, if I was to do what um, putting Jokic and Bead, Bam would be my third team center. So he's not a forward there. Um, I know that you said you had Siakam there. So you have Siakam over guys like Jalen Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Did you have Jimmy Butler as well? I think you said Jimmy Butler. Yeah, my third's Butler and Siakam. Yeah. So I, I think that Tatum, Giannis, KD, and LeBron, I, we obviously all had those guys. Those guys are incredible. All NBA first team caliber performers. It just stinks because you can only choose two of them to make the first team. Um, LeBron is the obvious decision to have lower because of his team success. And KD makes sense to have lower than the other two guys because of the games that he's missed in health. I understand that Biddy's you had to have Giannis over Tatum because you you chose to have um, both those guys on the first team. So I thought I mean, all that made sense. I sacrificed. That yeah, that's, yeah, that's it's, it's fine. That makes sense. If you choose to have those guys, that's how it should shake out. So so the third team, again, is, is where it's interesting because I think we're finding that these these 10 or so guys are pretty obvious for who the, for who are the first and second team should be. Um, I, I had DeMar DeRozan. You, you said you had DeRozan. Did you have DeRozan's second team or was he, was he your third team forward as well? He was my third team forward. DeRozan yeah, and I mean, he, as my third we, team forwards. Oh, yeah. we So we saw him, not that he's like taking a step down. He's missed some games here and there. The Bulls are obviously struggling um, to stay afloat as, as they as they parse through injuries now that the season's coming down to it. 
they're in and out of the play-in tournament, uh, depending on the game that they win. Uh, the, the luster of his MVP caliber season has kind of faded since January passed, but you still got to give him some credit for the season that he had. We all had him on this, on these teams. So essentially it's just the other spots where we all differentiated. Um, I didn't have Jimmy on. I didn't have Siakam on. These guys are deserving players. I just think that the Boston Celtics are going to be the best defense in the NBA. They're going to finish with a home court team right now. They're the number one seed. Uh, I think they're probably going to be one, two or three. And, and it's not just, and I talked about this last week. It, it's not just, it's not just Tatum. Tatum deserves a, a large amount of the credit because he's been incredible, but we've seen, we've seen Jalen take a legitimate step and his, his consistency defensively has, has been there. I think that he's very, very deserving of a, of a third team selection. I think it'll make up for him getting cut out of the all-star game because he had missed too many games. But why do you feel like someone like Jimmy Butler is more deserving? Is it because he he has the heat culture and he tries to fight his coach? Absolutely. Um, is, is that why? It's that's, great. That's why you want great, him there? Man. No. Well, I mean, I understand the Boston Celtics are now sneaking into first place, but you wouldn't say that their success is because of Jalen Brown. Like it's obvious I, that the 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 greatest amount of success was generated by Jason Tatum's leap forward in the second half of the year, and also just like they've been playing phenomenal team defense. Like they're just a great team. And when I look at the Miami Heat, the heart and soul of that team, if you're looking at one player, is Jimmy Butler. And I'm rewarding him as the leader, as the alpha, as the guy you're going to to close out a game. And I'm just rewarding him for the Heat's success this year. Like, Jalen Brown's a great... He's, like, outside looking in. Like, he's a great player, but he's not deserving of being on that third team. I know that might be unpopular with Celtics fans, but it's just... It is what it is. For a, for a long time, Jalen Brown has been like a better offensive player than Jimmy Butler. Um, this this season, especially since the calendar turned, I, I forget, I haven't looked in like a week or so, but I'm pretty sure Jimmy Butler shooting like under 15% from three. Um, his, his playmaking has been spotty. He hasn't been as connected to his teammates as he was when he first got there. Uh, I, I, I love Jimmy Butler. I think he's a very fun player. I, I think the fire that he plays with is, is very, very entertaining. Um, I don't think that he's had the Heat's success this season has been Spolstra's success, has been the collective success. You talk about the Celtics being a good team. That's more true with the Miami yeah. Heat than it is with Boston Celtics. And, and it's more about the Omer Yurt Seven and Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. And, and it's more about Spo. It's more about Spo and filling in when players are out. And, and Jimmy missed a lot of time. I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't have him in. I, I don't think he deserves as much credit for the heat success as Jalen does for the and, Celtics success. And Jimmy, Jimmy is uh 12 for 64 from three. Since okay. January we're looking at one third. stat though. We're looking at one stat. Just, You're saying I'm, he, I'm he's just, not deserving because he has I'm one bad stat. One. Right. Yeah, and sure. I think my, my overall point is that when you think of the Boston Celtics, no one's saying Jalen Brown and the Boston Celtics, it's Jason no, Tatum. It's Jason Tatum in the Boston Celtics. And when you think about the Miami Heat, the T, the guy that is the face and the leader, both on the court and emotionally, is Jimmy Butler. I think about Bam just as much as I think about Jimmy. Um, Biddies, who are your so who is your forward that hasn't been discussed? Uh, his young upstart on the Los Angeles Lakers by the name of LeBron James. So who is wait? So oh, because you had one less forward. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. okay. So we already talked about them. Um, 
we all we all agree that Carl Anthony Towns should be uh, a name that's that's that deserves some credit. Yes, he, he had a down three, game. Number three center. Yeah, number three center. He had a down game against the elite Boston Celtics defense tonight. Um, but he but he's put in some defensive effort lately for Minnesota Timberwolves. They've been a fantastic defense since the calendar turned. I believe they're actually the number one defense in March over the Boston Celtics, who are number two. Um, Towns he, he's been really really good. He, he's he's solidifying his claim to be the best shooting big men of all time. But I mean, I, I'm not mad at any of these selections. I, I think even, even Pascal Siakam, he's been awesome since, since he came back from injury back in December. Um, the, the Raptors, I think they actually just, just leapt ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers. So now they're um, above that kind of like that value bubble um, above in the six seed out of the play in tournament. So, so I think he's a very deserving candidate. Other names that I considered were, were Darius Garland, uh, Zach Levine, uh, Dejunta Murray. There's there's a lot of names that the league the league is just so deep. Like I almost want like an all NBA fourth team. Um, let's uh, let's let's real quick. You guys got any closing thoughts before we jump to defense? Um, you know, tough pick for me was Luca versus Ja. The two times that they've that they've actually matched up because Ja missed two of the games. Um, both times both dudes put up numbers, but Dallas won by double digits. So that was kind of my uh my tiebreaker and then uh to to ease my ease my worry about putting lebron on the third team uh i did go ahead and take a look at a guy who averaged 31 points for a game with russell westbrook as his best teammate and kind of a crap supporting cast as bradley beal last year and he was all nba third team so i'm fine sticking lebron there he's also like a scoring leader isn't he uh yeah yeah, per game. Yep. Yes. It, he's still above thirty. I mean, I'm 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 playing him in the fantasy basketball semifinals. So and I need to win points. So I'm hoping that LeBron didn't go off. And it looks like I'm gonna be okay, but we'll, we'll see. Harden only had 14 points for me, which is a nuisance. But all right, let's uh let's jump to the All NBA defensive teams. I'll rattle mine off. I have my All NBA first defensive team. I have Marcus Smart. Mikhail Bridges, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Draymond Green, and Robert Williams as my All NBA first defensive team. Steve, who you got? You, I, the first three, I was like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So I have the first three to a T. Bridges, Smart, Giannis. I put Bam on the first team as the other forward, and then I put Gobert as my center. Reasonable. Biddy, who you got? Uh, we've got Smart, Bridges. We've got uh, Draymond. Giannis, and we got Rob Williams. We got the same team, same yeah. first team. Nice. All right, we're we're in agreement. All right, second team. Um, I'm I'm bumming because my my forwards and bigs. My team is Gobert, Jaron Jackson Jr., Bam Adebayo. At guards, I had Drew Holiday and Herb Jones, and I'm bumming because Herb. I couldn't get Evan Mobley in over Gobert, Jaron Jackson, or Bam. Steve, Steve, who'd you have on your I'm second? just gonna I'm also bad at this defensive team. I want to show you my sheet. It's not good for the podcast, but I have crossed out names like 18 times. I had no idea where I was <laughs> you going. Got like, you got like 12 names there. I have a lot of names. <laughs> uh so the 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 bigs were easy. I have Rob Williams my my backup, my second team yeah. center, uh Jaron Jackson Jr., Draymond Green. Like those were all easy. The bigs were easy. But sure. guards I had no idea. So I went with uh, Matisse Thibel as my other guard. <laughs> I don't know. And obviously I just caped up for Jimmy Butler <laughs> really hard last segment. So I'm throwing Jimmy Butler back on there for the, all the defensive second team. 
nothing crazy. Biddy's who you got? Yeah, I went Thibault and Drew as uh, my backcourt, and then I, you know, you know, I love putting centers as forwards. So <laughs> the, my front court is Bam, Jaron Jackson, and Rudy Gobert. Yeah, so me and Biddy's have uh, nine out of the ten are the same for me and Biddy's. You had uh, Matisse Thibault. I had Herb Jones. Um, Matisse is his reputation makes you think he's one of like the five best defenders in the league. Um, I I don't want to like, don't get me wrong. He's probably one of my first three names out um, in terms of like honorable mentions. I just think that he's very, he's almost like what Robert Covington was in his prime. Just like Mm. the most incredible off ball menace. He's predicting things that are going to happen before they happen. And he's just filling lanes and he's, and he's making things happen. Steals, getting in passing lanes, deflections, and, and he's just got an awesome wingspan, and he's great. Where, where he falls short is in the same way that Covington falls short, is is on ball he can really get beat. Um, side to side, he's not the most laterally agile. Um, and, and if someone goes chest to chest with him, he can he can get overpowered. That That's that's somewhere where I don't see that as a weakness for my selection and Herb Jones. Um, he, he's been a game wrecker, uh, especially against lead guards. And because their size is similar – I think that Herb has most of the strengths that Matisse has off ball and none of the issues that Matisse has on ball. So that's just a little background for why I chose Herb Jones. Um, I I think it's really awesome. And I do think it's extremely likely that smart ends up first team. I do think that Robert Williams is going to make it all defensive team. Um, I I think that we're giving him credit in terms of me and biddies on the first team. Steve had him in the second. Um, I think it's likely that, when the voting comes in, we're going to see Gobert's name um, on the first team over him. And the first team is probably going to be smart bridges, Gobert. And then it's going to be like probably bam. Cause he's just a betting favorite for defensive player of the year right now, even though he's missed a lot of games. And then one of Giannis or Draymond or whoever it is, but I, I want to give Rob will a, a lot of credit as a legitimate defensive player of the year uh, candidate, uh, deserving first team selection on this and, and his first of many all NBA defensive selections um, his presence as a rim protector is, is is really unmatched in terms of his style of defensive play and his explosiveness makes him probably the most, in my personal opinion, he makes him the most exciting defensive player to watch in the NBA. So I love that Celtics are getting credit here as they deserve. They're the best defensive team in the league by a mile. Um, they, they deserve to have two guys here. And I think they're, I think they're going to get two guys on the team. Um, Steve, you had, who, who was your name? You had Jimmy Butler. And that was just because that's who you're throwing in there. I, I haven't been as impressed with him. Biddies, did you think about Mobley? Did you think about Mobley at all or no? Um, no. It was just so many people. <laughs> he was Steve, one of my many names I crossed out. out. Steve, Steve, it was just like so many. Oh, it, like we were talking about it. We were talking about off air, just about like Steve was really beating the drum for big men being more important defensively. And I think just big man defense is a lot more easily identifiable and that yes. makes it like tougher to pick guard. So I think that's probably the reason why like, I like my legacy, like Thibault and Drew Holiday, I feel like are very much legacy picks. Um, even though the Thibault's young, like just like, yeah. it's very much like reputation based because unless you're sitting down watching a lot of games for each team, which is why like Herb Jones doesn't make my team at all because I just have not watched a ton of Pelly's basketball, um, particularly not like 
truly sitting down watching full games, you know, once yeah. a week. Right. I mean, Herb Jones also kind of satiated my need to put a rookie from this class on an all defensive team because they have lots of deserving credit uh, players um, amongst them. Um, I didn't even talk about Scotty Barnes, but he's, he's a guy who's likely going to be on these teams in the future. Um, Mobley, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, Robert Williams, Draymond to a degree. These, these players are all young players in the league, not Draymond, obviously, but their style of defense, there's a lot of overlap there in terms of the off-ball menacing to it, um, their, their ability to impact the game as as not necessarily a big and not necessarily a, a, a wing um, is really, really intriguing, and, and I, I love how those guys impact the game defensively. Um, so let, let's close out the show just with some seeding talks. Steve, I know you have some stuff uh, just in terms of how, how the teams are looking down their last couple of games and, and who we're looking to see in terms of matchups as playoffs come around. I didn't have a ton, but I'm just kind of curious that you guys buy into all that, that bullshit about trying to like drop your seating in the East to avoid the Nets. Cause I understand like the Nets are trendy now that they're getting Kyrie back full time, but I don't think at this point it doesn't look like you're going to get back Ben Simmons. Like I think he's a lost cause for the season. And even with Kyrie, they've been kind of in and out like iffy all season. There's no way you'd actually want to take a couple L's to avoid them and maybe drop into the third seed, right? That's just preposterous. I think I think unless you're Milwaukee, where you've done it before and you don't need quite as much of like a tune-up. Other than that, like the Heat, the Sixers, and the Celtics, they really need to make the most out of these last 10 games to just be on the same page going into the playoffs. And obviously for the Celtics, they've been on the same page in a big way for a long stretch, but it's still getting to that point of like, you you should just be in the mode where you're taking care of business and you're going out and you're making sure that you know uh, every scheme, every strategy that your coach is going to ask of you in a seven game series. So I think you should be tuning that up. If you're the Bucks, I'll, I'll let it slide because you've done it before and you've been together for a while. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're just flirting with trouble if you're intentionally trying to lose games, unless it's like the last game of the season and you're just going to rest guys. I think you're a thousand percent right. I think you you only do it. And the reason why there's more value for a team like the Boston Celtics to try and keep gunning to now at the point where we're number one right now to hold the number one overall seed spot is, is because it allows you that flexibility when, when you come down to it and you have three games left. Uh, we saw today, Sunday, uh, early game, they, they contemplated resting Jalen and Tatum who both had not nothing concerning, but ju- just knees that they were contemplating resting. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the ailment that they choose to label them as on game 81 or game 82 so that they can sit out. And if, if you're a team that has a cushion on the top and you have a one or two game lead, it's not that big of a deal if you drop to the second seed or maybe you have the capacity to stay at one losing to those guys. I, I do think that there's a big difference, um, but looking across matchups, I, I think if I'm Boston, I'm not avoiding anyone. Um, I'm not, I'm not worried about the Brooklyn Nets. We've seen KD and Kyrie Irving can score 90 points and the Nets are still beatable. So I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, 
Yes, they have a ceiling that's higher than any eight seed or seven seed has ever had, but I'm not avoiding teams as the number one team because they should have home court throughout the playoffs. I think that's a valuable asset to have. As the number one seed, you're playing the winner of – oh, my gosh, saying this is going to be funny. You're playing the winner of the loser of the 7-8 play-in game versus the winner of the 9-10 and play-in game. So that means likely if the Nets do their job and win the first play-in game, you're playing either Cleveland, Charlotte, or Atlanta um, unless – Toronto dips back down there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm welcoming those uh, matchups more than dropping to the two and having to play Brooklyn, obviously, so that there's more incentive to stay at the one. Um, as far as the other teams, Ch- Chicago is an interesting cushion. I would rather play Chicago than play a team like Toronto, who's gangbusters and who's going to, yes, you'll probably go past them if you're a team like Milwaukee or Philadelphia, but they're, they're going to beat you up going into the next round and, and probably put some miles on your tires that could mess you up for the for the stretch run of the playoffs. So it should be interesting for the teams in the middle, like a Milwaukee, like a Philadelphia. We'll see how Miami does shaking out to see if they try to avoid um, the, the play-in matchup versus a, a team like a Toronto, see if they can hopefully land Chicago. I do think there's appeal in that 4-5 matchup because it seems – like um, there's pretty good differentiation between um, the four and the five. So that's a pretty good safe pocket to stay in. But in terms of avoiding Brooklyn, um, I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. And I don't think it's going to be team anything that teams really pay too much attention to. And that's just like stuff that's hard to predict. It's like, what if the seven, eight matchup ends up being Toronto seven, Brooklyn eight, and then, no Kyrie playing in that game in Toronto and then Brooklyn loses that one. Then they're the eight seed unexpectedly or like, you know, going up against Charlotte or Atlanta, boom, they drop 150 on you and Brooklyn misses the playoffs. It's there's yeah. so many, there's so many weird things that can happen in being a fan of the Celtics. Like my number one thing on the wish list would be that we line up on the opposite side of Milwaukee. Yeah. I think the whole thing's else. preposterous. Yes. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I want to avoid Milwaukee for as long as possible. Milwaukee is the biggest threat for Boston, in my opinion, and we've played well against them in the past. But right right now, the Celtics are on the same side as the bracket as Philadelphia and Chicago in the second round. I love that. I'm down for that. Absolutely. Um, They're playing probably, like I said, Cleveland, Charlotte, Atlanta. Down for that. I love that. That means they're avoiding Milwaukee and or Brooklyn and or Miami until the end of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. That sounds perfect. So, yeah. Also – also, let's get a televised draft of the one through four seeds picking their opponents. Yes, I like that. I like that theory. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is preposterous. There's no way any teams say telling their players lose on purpose. I think just fans are getting a little tinfoily, conspiracy yes. theory, nonsense. I, before we, I know we want to get out of here in a minute, but I wanted to give you something. I thought you liked this. So I was looking at 538 just now, and they, they're like the analytics website. They have all sorts of algorithms to kind of predict outcomes and whatnot. And they have the 2021-2022 predictions updated to, as of today as far as who will win the NBA Finals. Top five, number five, 76ers with 6%. Number four, this one was a, this one got me. Number four, the Denver Nuggets with 8% to win the Finals. This is, this is next year? This, this year. year. Yeah. Denver Nuggets. 
Denver it doesn't. Nuggets. It's it's a weird algorithm. Watch what you say. We'll get a little higher. We'll watch what you say. When when is five uh, number ever been wrong? <laughs> we, we know who number one is. I know who number one is. We all know number, number three. One. Bucks fifteen percent. Number two, Suns nineteen percent. What do we got? And this 25? is bananas. This is bananas. This is 25%? bananas. Number one, while, Boston Celtics. Woo! With a 32% chance of winning the NBA 32. Finals. It's gone up. It's gone up. They love them, man. The, the math loves the Celtics. So 538 has had the Celtics as the favorite to win the championship since the run started. So yeah. before the Celtics went 24-3 and three in their last 30 games or whatever, like early, early January, like 538 the- was like, after the Philadelphia blowout, I think, is yes. when they moved in. And basically, yeah. the the algorithm loves blowouts, and the Celtics have been doing a lot of it. Obliterating. Obliterating if, teams. If they hadn't – if they like, if this was the follow-up to the bubble year that we were doing this, then I would oh. be – I would be – putting the gas in the duck boats right now uh this group this group has failed our expectations before so you know i'm trying to trying to tame myself but it is a pretty amazing run that they're on and, and hopefully hopefully nate silver's right and uh the 32 percent chance turns into a 100 percent chance in the in the western conference i think the seating shakeout is much more interesting um i i think there's more weight to this postseason for teams like the Utah Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks and I don't even know teams lower than there are necessarily in the Eastern Conference. So I'm going to be interested to see because I could see the Jazz being a team that tries to avoid a certain roster. I think getting the two has supreme value because you're playing either the Timberwolves or the Pelicans or the Lakers or the Clippers, albeit there's a lot of scuttlebutt lately that the Clippers are going to be getting back Paul George and potentially Kawhi Leonard, which no would way. be chaotic. Um, so, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see down the stretch um, whether there's resting and jockeying around to try and avoid some matchups that may not may not be fortuitous to a team like the Utah Jazz. Because if the Jazz lose in the first round, like you can lock in that Rudy Gobert is going to get traded this offseason, and, and that's going to be a bombshell for the league uh, across across the, the whole board. You know, I have a question for you guys, just hypothetical. If you're LeBron James, what's more embarrassing? Missing the play in com- completely or actually winning your game and having to get obliterated by the Suns in the first round? Missing. Missing the play-in. Missing the play-in is embarrassing. Like losing in the play-in? Losing it or like not even just like completely no, he's sliding. Dropping out. Like dropping out. Uh, the Spurs the pass seat. them. Yeah. I think wow, losing the to the Suns in four is more embarrassing. This, I mean, this whole thing has been embarrassing. The Lakers stink. <laughs> All right, keep LeBron on the third team because win game. <laughs> like, how are they worse than the Clippers? I love it. It's how crazy. are they worse than the Clippers? This is Reggie Jackson. It's Reggie Jackson season, baby. Okay, well, <laughs> can LeBron be as good as Reggie Jackson? Literally? I love Biddy's. Biddy's is like the only stat that matters. W's. Get out <laughs> of here, win, baby. Crazy. I, I think it should be interesting. All right. With that said, let's let's skedaddle. Uh, listeners, thank you for enjoying. Please subscribe, rate, review, do everything you're supposed to do with a podcast. Biddy, Steve, thank you for joining us. My Will at Basketball. Peace. <laughs>